0: is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today about a lovely little book called Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. It's available on Ascension Press, and it's written by uh, a couple of guys and their wives that I have known for quite some time. Uh, Adam and Haley Minahan. Adam is the uh, the director of communications for the Diocese of Tulsa and co-host of The Catholic Man Show. Uh, and then David and Pamela Niles, uh, they are—he's also with The Catholic Man Show. And one of the things that, um, that I like to point out is that— you had to sit through pre-canic classes before you could get married where you had to listen to me talk <laughs> way too much uh but you're still married so that's a success story I didn't screw things up too badly uh so glad to have y'all here on the show today yeah we're happy to be here
1: thanks yeah thank you for having us
0: yeah absolutely so first of all let's talk about the impetus for this book because both of you have uh in your marriages have kind of lived this out and tested this out over the last several years. Uh, You've raised your children, creating a domestic church in your homes. Uh, Living Beyond Sunday is the title of the book uh, is is named. Uh, But then what drove you or or brought you to a place where you wanted to write these things down into the form of a book?
2: Well, originally it was – is actually for our local diocesan magazine, the the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic. They they approached us uh, before I started even working for the diocese and asked us to write a, a handful of uh, uh, articles about the domestic church. And so as we kept going and, and writing these articles on the domestic church, uh, we had this idea of like, well, we've already done some of this legwork. Why don't we combine these things and uh, you know make it into a book? And I originally like we originally thought. That oh well we basically have it all written we basically have the whole book done it's it, it it's completed all we have to do is just like you know send it in and it, it'll be over and uh, we quickly realized that that's not the case mm-hmm. uh, it took a little bit more time and effort than that but um but that that's kind of how the the origin of, of of the book came about yeah and so I, I've talked with a number of authors over the years
0: who have co-written a book. Uh, but you have have quad written a book. How did that kind of play out? What was that interplay like? And, and are you, I mean, David, you just recently moved away from, from the neighborhood. So are you all still <laughs> friends after this? Process? <laughs> That's
1: a good question. Yes, yes,
3: we are all still friends. Um, having four authors definitely had pros and cons uh, because some of the, and, and I think it was good that it was, you know, Adam and I, two husbands and Pamela and Haley, two wives. And then Adam and Haley, one couple Pamela and I, another couple, right? So there were so many different perspectives. So I think that that was a real benefit, uh, in the, in the end result of the book. Um, but also, you know, okay, great. Uh, Pamela and Haley are going to team up writing, um, you know, the chapter on motherhood. So like it helped take, uh, alleviate some of the, the writing load. Um, but mm-hmm. when it came to editing,
4: you, you don't want to erase something someone else right. wrote. You like maybe they really like come across part. an analogy
3: and it's like, wait, who wrote this? Uh, do they really want to keep this in there? You know? And so, yeah, it was, uh, some just kind of funny ch- little challenges like that throughout the process. But, um, you know, we're just such good friends with the Minahans. It just made it really smooth. Um, I think we all worked really well together when we wrote it. Um, so overall it was rather pleasant as far as writing a book goes. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and it took all four of us to write, you know, just a little over a hundred pages. So if that goes to show you like how, you know, how we are naturally writers, uh, uh, it took, it took all four of us to write about basically about a hundred pages. So, yeah.
1: but then four writers in four different writing styles. <laughs> so the voice changes. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you can um, tap into that, you might notice a little bit of a change. And I thought that might be a challenge maybe to the reader, but actually it was when it all came together, it was very beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this idea of domestic church. It's a term that most of us have heard many times over, but it's also kind of uh, an opaque term right? There's a lot of different ways that you could interpret that idea of domestic church. And so starting with Adam and Haley, um, first of all, you spend quite a bit of time in that chapter, that first chapter on domestic church, unpacking church documents and helping us see what the church has said about domestic church. So maybe give us a little bit of that, but then also what has been your individual couple experience of the domestic church? Maybe a story that kind of typifies that for you and your household.
2: Sure so like the domestic church it, as as parents the catechism uh 2223 talks about how we are the the, the parents are the first teachers of their children right mm-hmm. so uh everything that we learn from the liturgy everything that we learn from going to holy mass uh is carried into our own homes as we are living outside the walls uh and and we are the teachers of our children right so mm-hmm. so we're we're uh, when we have children, we are the first people who who, who show them, hopefully, the love of Christ. Mm. And how do they see this? They see this from the love between a husband and wife. They see this between uh, a father and a son or a father and a daughter, a mother and a son, mother and daughter. Uh, and so the domestic church is really just uh, the what we are called to do—the command that, that that our Lord has has made for us—to go and baptize all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, starting with the easiest, which would be our own household, mm-hmm. right? So um, uh, the domestic church really is just a, uh, a, a an extension of what we learn from uh, Holy Mass on Sundays, uh, and it's we are as uh, parents the. Uh, domestic priests of our families. And so what do priests do? But they offer prayer and sacrifice. And so as parents, as a husband, as a uh, you know, as a wife, you offer prayers for your for your family. Uh you offer prayers uh for for your husband or your for your spouse and for your children, but you also offer uh sacrifices. And, you know, obviously, as somebody who has what number 9 on the way, is that what you told me? Like number 9 on the way? There's clearly sacrifices that have to be made in in, in living in, in, in the domestic church and so really that's kind of like what the domestic church is uh but i'll let you tell like the fun part which is maybe a story that that comes up no
1: oh okay well i'm not sure but how about
2: the, <laughs> how, 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 how about how about the prayer board what do we do every uh...
1: okay okay practically putting that into practice in our home um adam and I'm sure it came from maybe somebody else that we saw doing this because a lot of these ideas in the book are coming from the fruits of the labor of others who have been there before us, and that's that's a really beautiful thing. But we do have a um, dry erase board by uh, on the wall next to our um, dining room table where we eat every night together as a family, and after the meal. Um, dad gets up, erases the prayers from the night before, and he, um, goes around starting with himself, then my, then mom, and then the rest of the children in order of their prayer intention and a saint that they would like to intercede for that special Mm -hmm. intention. Um, and that's just become a routine and, um, and just habitual that's
2: just and the the beautiful thing is is like that gives you opportunity right to uh pray together as a family like you have a Mm -hmm. a physical representation of like here is what our our sons or our daughters are wanting to pray for throughout the day and then it also gives them the opportunity to uh like uh ask for intercession through the saints through uh you know the the mystical body of christ uh for their intentions So Mm -hmm. they get more familiar with the saints. They get more comfortable with praying to the saints uh, and asking for their help. And then it also gives us an opportunity as we go throughout the day to pray for one another uh, as a physical reminder on the board. Yeah. As I was reading the book,
0: uh, a a picture sprung to my mind, which wasn't explicitly mentioned here, but uh, of the home being in a way... uh, as we think of discipleship and think of this picture of the disciples following Jesus, uh, and they followed Jesus around for three years everywhere he went and they did the things that he did and they they, uh, broke their understandings of the world and their conventions and remolded them around what Jesus was telling them. And in a way, I see our homes like this with our children, because it's not just, here are the spiritual practices that we have, although that's certainly core to what we do as parents, but there's also this sense of this is how we live our lives as disciples. This is this is the way that we eat, and this is the way that we pray, and this is the way that we walk, and these are the, the ways that we live out the, the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy, uh, being demonstrative in the way that we teach. And at parents as the primary educators, not so much in that we're pulling out a textbook, but parents as primary educators in almost a Montessori kind of a way, let's together do this thing. Um, I, I think you mentioned Catechesis of the Good Shepherd here in the book, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. and wonderful thing that's very much demonstrative, demonstrative in the way that it teaches. So David and Pamela, I'm going to turn that same question over to you. What What is a way that you have found the domestic church come alive in your household?
4: Um, I think one big way that I really see it in our household is the way we serve each other. And I think just like you said, Timothy, it starts, you know, as a demonstration from who, from the parents. And so as David is serving me and I'm serving him, our kids see that that builds a greater love between, between us and between our whole family, um, our kids. And I'd say in particularly our oldest, she really, Um, she really has caught on to this. She will be very generous in serving, you know, one of her siblings who, oh, I didn't get to do what I wanted. And she'll kind of look at me and wink like, oh, it's okay, here, you can take my turn. You know, just serving one another um, and the idea of sacrificial love. um, I think we can see it, you know, numerous times a day in our household. And it's just really beautiful knowing that, like, ah, they're starting to get it. You know, that's what Christ does for us. You know, he is, uh, he came to serve, not to be served. So, um, that's what comes to my mind.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think like, just the truth is that in most ways, our kids are just like anybody else's kids. Right. Um, you know, they're just almost exactly the same as other, every other kid. Um, uh, but, but the, a lot
4: cuter. Yeah.
3: Obviously they're cuter. I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously uh and they levitate so that's pretty awesome yeah i mean
3: they can only they can only get a few inches you know so we're we haven't we haven't quite crossed the uh, half foot mark yet but we're working on it um but but the thing that i really appreciate about them is just um you know we've been very intentional about the the way and the things that we do in the home you know things like, you know, all right, are we going to have a television, uh, where's it going to be? How much are we going to like, bring those things, you know, into the lives of our children. Um, and I can see the way that those choices, um, have shaped their imagination. Uh, when I hear them playing in the background, um, the things that they play and just the things that they say to each other, um, are because their imagination has been fueled by the lives of the saints by, um, you know, these other good witnesses, by practices of prayer, um, you know, scripture, scripture, right. Just some of these basic things. And I, it's just, that's their world. That's what they know. Um, and Pamela and I do our best to not just make it something that we're teaching, but something that we are doing right. Um, because that's, I think that's really important at at the end of the day, if, um, your kids think like, oh yeah, that was just something they taught to us, but it's not something that they believe or that they do. Then eventually they'll leave the faith too, you know? So, um, that's just what I've noticed about our, our domestic church. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm proud of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I want to point out about your domestic church specifically that, um, you know, there a lot of people out there talking about liturgical living, There's a lot of books that you can get on that. I think one of the things that has really stood out to me about the Menahans and the Niles is that you do have this uh, this intentional individual family living, but you also have a very strong community with one another. And so you're not doing domestic church just as a singular family, uh, but there is this um, this community still smaller than the parish community, but there's this community. Uh, living of life that you don't often find, uh, in, in your typical parish ch- uh, town.
3: Yeah. You know, um, it's actually somewhat of a paradox. I think that the family is the most exclusive thing on the planet. I mean, aside from marriage, but you know, it's hard to separate marriage and family. Um, and so, uh, it's this exclusivity that kind of, is it's very important because it's like well who's who's part of my family you know um and whose family do i belong to do i belong to any family you know so there, there's like an important sense of identity but like just a spoiler alert the exclusivity of family isn't for the family itself it's actually uh for the broader community um you need to have this you know especially when your kids are young This like catholic bubble that they grow up in, where um, they're sheltered, where their innocence is guarded, um, where they can like flourish in a healthy imagination, and all kinds of things, so that they grow up to be uh, well-balanced individ- adults who can participate well in society. And even the family, the domestic church, when it has the proper order, it is so that you can welcome uh, others through the virtue of hospitality. So the the family isn't even for itself, but it's for, in every way, it's for the community. So it's just ironic that the most exclusive institution is for everybody else. Mm-hmm.
0: I seem to remember your pre-K teacher, uh, I don't remember who that was, talking about the family being that kind of base molecule of the whole church.
2: I think he had but- a lot of hair. He Maybe did at one water point, water at, at one point in time, I think he might've. Uh,
0: and so, so the, as a molecule, it still retains all of the, all of the features. And not only does it retain all the features of the glass of water, but that molecule of water is what makes the glass of water possible. Uh, and so too, our families can act as that, that base element that creates the church that we're part of.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So for, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what is hospitality is obviously very important. It's one of the final chapters in the book, uh, Adam and Haley, what does hospitality look like in your household and how do you communicate the value of hospitality to your children?
1: Um, I think that's a great kind of segue from what we were just speaking about, about the community, because you're building this community and that doesn't really happen without The, um, aspect of hospitality, welcoming people into your home, um, making a beautiful space for guests to come into making it a, well, as stress-free as possible zone for people to feel welcome and, um, and just seeing the different dynamics of the people who are coming in, um,
2: yeah, because I mean, I think that, you know, p- part of the book, we, we've said, we said at the outset, that a lot of this book is either something that we've learned from our family or something that we've learned from other people, right? So when you bring somebody else into the home, you, uh, you share the traditions within the home with others, which is beautiful, right? Because, uh, when we come, when people come into our home, they, they are, uh, we welcome them in and we have them participate in prayer. We have them participate in the prayer board. Like we just talked about a little bit ago. We They participate in the rituals and uh, the mantras that we have within the home. Well, that helps that that strengthens that strengthens all of the church right because uh as as david comes over to my house and and pamela comes over to our house and and they see some of the things that we're doing they're like oh that's a great idea we should implement that and then they re-invite us back over to their house we see what they're doing we see the uh the love that they're showing their kids the traditions that they have within their home and we're like oh that's a great idea let's let, let, let's take that and bring that back into our home mm-hmm. and so there's the beautiful uh, there's there's such a beauty to uh, establishing traditions within your home so that you can invite other people into your home to participate in these traditions so they can take those, you know, whatever they feel like is good for their family and take those with them and do that themselves. Mm
1: -hmm. And that can seem maybe a little intimidating because I know as having people over to my house, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't in the right spot. And oh my goodness, the kids are doing this. And, you know, it can be a little bit stressful. Maybe start with just making a meal for somebody. A small gesture of, oh, someone's new in the parish. Maybe they've just moved here. Let's make them a meal. That's showing your children. And that's an easy way where you don't have to feel the pressure of having somebody over. You start with something small. And then yeah, no, hopefully you can build up to, to that, but you know, it's never going to be perfect. There's always.
3: Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say that it's, it's just, I think it's a little funny that, uh, you know, there's nothing like magic or like, Ooh, super mind blowing about, Oh, you have people over and you have you for friends over for dinner, you know? Um, but just doing the things that make life good, right. The things that you want to do, um, like when you do that together, there's just a very powerful effect. I mean, it's like, I don't know why they had to study it, but didn't have to, I guess, but they've shown that, um, if your children see you, like if a, if a child sees his dad engaged in spiritual conversation with another one of his dad's friends, mm-hmm. that that has a, you know, a like it's one of the key factors for if, whether your children stay in the faith as they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, uh, of course it does. You know, just like when you do the things, like I said, that, Hey, having friends over for dinner, having, you know, some fam- friends of the family over, that's just one of the things that make life good anyway. Um, and God ordered it so that that's the things that we should be doing.
0: Yeah, there's a a number of of factors that go into, uh, the the studies have shown help our family stay Catholic. One of them you mentioned in the book is the family dinner, right? Taking that time to be together as a family is impactful. Uh, Another is to have other adults who are active in the faith present and speaking into their lives. So whether that be an RE teacher, whether that be some other adult that not their parent, telling them the same things that the parents are telling them and giving them that that foundation. And then you mentioned in the book as well that sacrifice is a key component, both to the strength and the health of a family life, but also to us recognizing our place in the wider society, caring for the dignity of the human person outside the bonds of our family, outside the bonds of our congregation even, and into the wider world.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, again, it goes back to uh, if we are the priests of our family in the domestic church, not a ministerial priest, but a, you know, a, a, a domestic priest uh, we offer prayers and sacrifices, you know? So uh, again, th- that's what we're called to do. Yeah. So in the couple of minutes that we have left here in this segment one of the things
0: that you talk about also is living liturgically, and there's lots of different ways that we can do that. We, we call to mind uh, the the seasons. We participate in, in Lent and uh, in Easter and Advent and Christmas in really tangible ways in the home, but then we also expand it beyond that. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of practices in our house, but I'm curious, what does living liturgically look like in the Minahan household?
1: Um well, we just celebrated St. Luke's feast day yesterday, um, having a celebration and making setting that apart from a regular day and showing them that this is this is an important part of our lives. This is important part of your life. We hope that um, on this day we will, you know, pray for the intercession of St. Luke. We will do something special. We will have a treat or Something that um, that makes it um, that makes it a holy mm-hmm. a holy yeah. Um, event.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I mean, cause Luke is our oldest, so I mean, so, for, by his namesake, I think most of it living lit- uh, liturgically is actually just being intentional, mm-hmm. right? It's just like being aware of like what is the the the, the beauty of the church uh, in her the church in her wisdom has given a given us a, a way to live. Uh, through the church, you know, through the 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 prayers that the church has given us, uh, we we know what these days or which days, you know, what liturgical season we're moving into, and so really being like living liturgically is actually just about putting in a little bit of effort. It's just about being intentional. Uh, what what's your baptism day? You know, mine was June twenty second, uh, nineteen eighty six. Uh, you know, making sure that your children know, like on this day you entered into the body of Christ, like you became a son or a daughter of God. Um, like, and, and making sure that they know this, making sure that they're aware of what, you know, uh, the importance of this, of, of their salvation, uh, and making sure that they understand like what, you know, on, on this day, like, listen, Luke, you're named after St. Luke. It was yesterday. You know, and so because of your feast day, we're going to do something special. We're going to set aside. We're going to make this day sacred. right? we're going to separate this from all other things, setting like making it holy, which is what holy means. Is like setting it aside, making it sacred, um, and 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 being just being intentional about it. Uh, and you you bring it up, but one of the things that I think me,
0: people miss about liturgical living is it it doesn't take a long time right? It might take five mm-hmm. extra minutes out of the day at most. You're like, well, we're going to have dessert today. Uh, and Oh, here's the reason why I mean, you were going to probably have dessert anyway, mm-hmm. but we just now pin it to the saints and say, Oh, and it's because of this saint that you get to have this sweet thing. Aren't you really excited that now you get to have pudding because of St. Luke or for us, you know, we, we just had, um, Teresa of Avila's feast day. And so we do carameled apples on that day because, you know, it's getting into fall and carameled apples is the thing you do. And she was also a, a Carmelite. So yeah, then, nice. Right. So yeah. we do carameled apples on the Carmelite nice. feast day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, we were going to do that anyway. Uh, so those traditions, those <laughs> right. traditions kind of, they're really easy to make. You just do it one or two times. You add just a very little bit of, uh, you know, color commentary on on top of it. And all of a sudden, oh, look, we're living liturgically. Mm-hmm. We're talking right. today with Adam uh, and Haley Minahan, David and Pamela Niles. And we're talking about the new book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. It's available on Ascension Press. That's ascensionpress.com. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation into how we build our own domestic church for the benefit of our families and for the benefit of the church at large. Come be part of the ongoing conversation, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. You often don't get to go back. Right There's, There are these, these times in your life that are very impactful and you don't get the opportunity to revisit them very often. And so it's just my great pleasure today to have Adam and Haley Minahan and David and Pamela Niles joining me on air today. Uh, Adam and David are the reason that I am on the radio today. It's all their fault and <laughs> the fault of uh, my bishop and and my wife uh, who thought it was a great idea that I would be on the air after I told these guys that no, it probably wasn't really Uh, a good idea. And so I was outvoted. Here we are uh, seven and a half years later. Thanks a lot, guys. You've just given me my (laughs) passion and my favorite thing to do in the world. Uh, And joined by uh, their lovely wives as they've written this book, Living Beyond Sunday, available on Ascension Press, talking about how we build the domestic church. Um, Let's take one step back, because a lot of times we'll dive right in as we did in this show here today, talking about the what to do, but let's take a step back and say, why are we doing this? What's the what's the purpose of all these extra practices and, and things? Because if it's just busy work, then there are other things that we could be doing with our time, right? Uh, obviously, it would be easier uh, to to so just put the kids down for a movie. It would be easier to, uh, it's been a long day, just we're going to do a quick song, we're going to go to bed. Uh, it's easier to not get into the habit of prayer or get into these practices that become uh, just kind of subconscious. We just They just become part of who we are. So since it would be easier to not do them, what is the, Purpose, the telos, the end result for doing this in the first place.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that is a great question. Um, ultimately, the answer is heaven, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that we want to train them up in the way that they should go when they are young, that so that they will not depart from it when they are old. Um, so, I mean that's that's really what it's about. We have an obligation as parents; and we are the primary educators of our children, and so uh, everything that their, their education, whether they go to public school, private school, homeschool doesn't matter. You are in charge as the parents, uh, you're responsible for their education. Um, and so I, I I've often thought about this, um, when my kids get to heaven, will it matter if they can do algebra or when the, when they die, right. And they're at their judgment. will will that matter? Like, well, I don't know, like, Maybe, but probably not nearly as much as, uh, you know, had they learned to be virtuous, had they learned compassion, um, and learned how to make, you know, make a self gift um, to others. So, I mean, and don't get me wrong, we teach math to our kids, okay? <laughs> 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 Somebody call the state. <laughs> right, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> you get the wrong impression. But of all of the things that I have to teach my children, um, mm-hmm. teaching them to love God is the thing that I care most about. Um, Cause actually I don't care. I don't care at the end of the day if you can't read, but I, I actually, I do care about that, but just not as much as whether or not you have learned that you are a son or daughter of Christ, um, that he loves you. And that your mission and your purpose in life is to love him back, you know? So like, that's, that's the point of, of all of the the domestic church. It exists in order to form us, not just our children, because I think that the domestic church, it forms every, every member of the family, myself included, right? Um, even though I'm the one steering the boat, um, it still forms me and teaches me how to live out my vocation better and better every day.
0: So you bring up that word, it forms us. And I want to go back to that phrase of parents being the primary educators of our children and look at it. Because I think so often when we hear the term education or educators, we think of that being um, uh, academic in nature. We think of the, the textbooks or the, the memorization or all those other parts that are part of education. And the formation is something that I think we often don't know to get involved with or don't think to get involved with because it's not part of our concept of education. So let's talk a little bit. What does it look like? How does it look different to form our children in the faith as opposed to just giving them the, the stories and the truths of the faith?
4: Um, that's a good question. I think forming, in order to form our children and ourselves, you have to really decide what's the priority, what's the end of this formation. And, like we've been talking about, it's to get to heaven, right? To know God, to love God, and to serve Him with all of our heart and soul and might. And, um, so I think, like, you just got to start at the basics, um, going back to the living liturgically, I think a great way to start is at the basics just live sacramentally. You know, what is the Eucharist? Well, if it's so important, let's get there and go to Mass and receive the Eucharist. Um, You know, what is forgiveness? Let's go to confession and receive God's mercy. Um, You know, yeah, you have to get the dishes done and and hurry up and get the baby to nap and do this and that and, oh, go to this class and, oh, meet up with this play date. But really, um, you need to slow down and think about it. You know, obviously, I'm talking to myself too. But, uh, you know, read the daily readings as a family um, and talk about that. Or sometimes on our way to Mass, you know, I've read the readings and I'll give the kids a heads up like, oh, it's going to be... Oh, what was it last weekend? It was 2 Timothy 3.16, which we have memorized. And so it was like, oh, listen for that while we're at Mass. Um, You know, just keeping the main thing the main thing. Um, And in our family, I think recently we've decided, like, well, we should start our school day with Scripture. So we've been going through a couple books of the Bible, which, you know, has been interesting and i've really enjoyed it it's not something that i've we've incorporated in our home before
3: and you know i think that these things um because they're uh they're more real than other things um learning about god is simply a more real it's a more human experience than um many many other things uh So, you know, just your question was, what's the difference between like educating or forming? Well, um, when you learn about virtue, it can't not form you. Okay. So Mm -hmm. there are just some things that when you learn them, they change you. You're not going to be the same anymore. Now having known these things. Right. And so that's where the formation, if it doesn't change you, it doesn't force you to change, make you into something new, a new creation then, it's, then there's, there's no forming going on. Sometimes you learn things and you say like, oh, that's interesting, right? Those kinds yeah. of things, yeah. they're not going to change who you, they're not going to make you grow, right? They might fill your head with more knowledge, um, but it's these things, these like what, what I think are just like real, the real things of life, right? The stuff that you're not supposed to talk about at uh, like the table at Thanksgiving with your family, uh, you know, like religion and politics, um, you know, these are like the real meaty questions of human existence. Um, and that's why they're so contentious, right? That's why people get so worked up about them because they're so important questions. Like the answers have like drastic consequences. And if we don't agree about them, then like, we got problems, man, you know? So like, um, <laughs> like those things have an inherent way of forming us. So it's so important to order your domestic church so that you're getting those things right. You're laying those foundations with your kids from the beginning. That way it makes sense when you build, when you start to build on them, they get it. Uh, and it's it's a natural, it's just a very natural thing that takes place. You end up building this beautiful, you know, uh, church, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. in your children.
0: Pamela, you mentioned uh, there in that uh, that explanation this this need to slow down. Uh, and so I want to come to the chapter that you all talked about on holy leisure in the domestic church. In that, you quote Joseph Pieper, who wrote a book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Uh, and I, I saw something in that that I hadn't seen before that was intriguing to me. Um, I think that often we conflate our hobbies or our, our, uh, our pursuits when we're not working for leisure. But very often those things are still very overly active, and we still don't take the time even in our hobbies to slow down and truly experience what leisure is supposed to be. How do you instill a sense of leisure in your children to where they're not just going and busying themselves with activity, but actually taking the time to to contemplate and, and to experience something new that our culture doesn't really often allow for.
2: Yeah, I mean, so uh, again, I think it goes back to intentionality, right? Being intentional. What does Sunday look like? Like Sunday is the day of rest. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday is the day of leisure. Uh, it is, it, it is, uh being on calvary right it it is christ dying for us it is it is uh, the day in which our salvation takes place and so uh john senior has a beautiful saying he says what is christian culture it is is it it is essentially the mass Mm -hmm. you know so uh leisure is uh for its own end Uh, And Joseph Pieper in that book, he makes this this whole argument that the end of leisure is is for its own sake. And uh, it's actually not even possible without some type of like there's no way of having even like some type of festival without it being divine in a real way. Uh, And so like how do you do this how do you do this within within the family right so sunday should should be set apart sunday should be a different day it should be not the same as all the other days uh because this is the day that the lord has you know uh you know uh, th- this is the day of salvation this is the day that we we have of uh, uh of celebrating who we are as christians uh and so um most of the time this is uh we focus a lot on living liturgically on the feast days right like this like we were talking about like oh well let's celebrate certain people's yeah. uh you know feast day or, or you know uh, like having cake on on uh, mary's birthday and things like that like feasting is great right but we have to be able to th- like the reason why feasting is great is because we also fast mm. we don't understand feasting without fasting and so uh, th- th- this is whole, like, ontologically, feasting is uh, feasting is better than fasting. Uh, you know, like, this is what we say whenever somebody dies, right? Like, that they may rest in our Lord, right? Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, that they may have this true leisure, that they may have this true rest within our Lord. Um, so... I think that in order to like have true leisure within the family, the the week has to be structured in so far as that that we have days that where we where we fast. You know, if it's specifically like the church has given us days of Wednesdays and Fridays of of, of fasting days, and then when that way, when uh, feasting comes, it is so meaningful. Like we have a day of feasting, mm-hmm. uh, and this is like this is a day of joy. This is a day of 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 uh, saying like this, we are, uh, alleluia is our song. You know, we are Easter people and alleluia is our song as JP two would say, you know, like we, we were excited about this, right. The Lord has risen for us. Um, and so, uh, this is, leisure does not mean, uh, you know, let's sit on, on the couch and watch Netflix for four right. hours. That's not, that's not true leisure, right. You know, that's not, that's not true leisure, uh, in, in, in in the understanding that we have, the, uh, leisure um, is for its own end, mm-hmm. and so and this is this is what uh, like the book that you just um, mentioned, Leisure: The Basis, Basis of Culture. And, and Joseph, this is what he says in that book.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, TL, when you had mentioned the busyness and the you know just little things here and there, even though they may be good, and leading yeah. us to Christ. Um, Even when it is, you know, it's during the week, it's not Sunday. There are times where Adam and I have to say to ourselves or to one another, okay, I know I have this women's group tonight. I haven't been with Adam for the past three days with, you know, things that come up, the busyness. Yeah. So there's times where I will say, you know, I'm going to say no to this women's club, even though it is a beautiful and holy and good thing to rest with my husband, uh-huh. to sit down just together at the end of the day and just read or mm-hmm. be there for bedtime with the kids to pray with them as they're going to sleep. Um
2: yeah, and, cause we're so utilitarian, right? Yeah. in this modern culture, we're so utilitarian, right. So every action has to have some kind of out, uh, outcome, right? Like like what are we doing? if we're not if, if it doesn't yield something great, then what are we doing? Right. Uh but why are we not uh, stargazing with our children? You know, why are they not reading poetry? Why are they not playing a musical instrument? Why are they not? you know enjoying a irish folk song and singing together like these are the kind of things that are in a good in and of themselves and create this awe and wonder and uh imagination within the children um this is the beauty of of being out in nature this is the beauty of of uh you know like hunting season is coming up and so like being able to be out in in nature with your children and camping and all these kind of things this is the this is the beauty of that Now, I will say, as we're coming here to a close, um, that if you really
0: want to engage in that, I live up in the Pacific Northwest in the shadow of the mountains, and you should totally (laughs) come and visit. Uh, We've been talking today with Adam and Haley Minahan and David and Pamela Niles, who have just recently authored the new book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place, available on Ascension Press. That's ascensionpress.com. And David and Adam are also the co-hosts of The Catholic Man Show. So go ahead and take a look at that. We'll put a link to it over on our social media, but you can also just Google uh, The Catholic Man Show and theirs will pop right up. David and and, uh, Pamela, Adam and Haley, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, Happy to be here.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah,
0: what a blast. If you missed any part of my conversation with the Niles and the Menahans, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, if you're looking for more, I've got good news. There's always more. Each and every week, we produce an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we like to give them a little bit extra, an extra segment, two or three extra questions with our guests. And this week is a great one. If you've been considering becoming a part of that community, this would be a great week to do that. You can learn more by going to outsidethewalls.com and clicking that Patreon link there in the navigation bar. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. For instance, I've been building my Verbum library for a long time. I've got over 3,000 books in that Verbum library, and I wanted to find something specifically about the domestic church. Uh, And so when we get to our reading from uh, from church history this week, I went into Verbum and I typed in uh, um, domestic church. I put it in quotes so that I could find those exact two words together, and it came up just within seconds with 267 results in 91 books. Search through all 3,200 of my books to find just those Books that reference domestic church that could help me understand that better. And then I just sorted through and looked at which ones I wanted. I knew I wanted something that was a church document specifically. And so I could uh, weed out a whole bunch of books just by going to that faceted search and saying, hey, find me just the ones that are from the church in some church document. And it brought me to the compendium of the social doctrine of the church. Can't wait to read that section for you. But I found it really quickly because of the power of Verbum. Uh, Right now there's a discount going on because they just released Verbum 10. I encourage you to go over and take a look at them over at verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter three. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That reading comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, and I expanded that a little bit further than we typically find in the lectionary for this reason. I think they're very closely connected. First is this his big prayer, and all of those extra words that are going on there, is that we would be strengthened through faith rooted and grounded in love, to understand the depth of God's love for us. When we come to know and to comprehend with all the saints the, the full extent of God's love, that changes us. It makes us different. And so it makes us different in our families. It makes us different in the way that our families interact with the broader world. And so he's saying, first and foremost, that his prayer— All of those other things are just kind of giving context to it. His prayer is that through the Father, by the work of Christ, we could come to understand the fullness of God's love for us, because as we are indwelled with the Spirit of God and empowered by His love, we are able to do what He's called us to do. And so there, there that brings us to that call, what he's called us to do. Therefore, because this is my prayer, because you're being empowered by love, walk in a manner worthy of that calling with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love in our families and in our societies, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And with Paul, that is my prayer for me and for our whole church, for you listening, for all of those who are around us, that we would truly know, and not just know the words, but truly know and experience and comprehend with all the saints that love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Our reading from church history today, as I mentioned a little bit earlier there, comes from the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, and this is bringing a couple of different sources together to help us understand more fully what is meant by. Domestic church. The sacrament of marriage takes up the human reality of conjugal love in all its implications and gives to Christian couples and parents a power and a commitment to live their vocation as laypeople and therefore to seek the kingdom of God by engaging in temporal affairs and by ordering them according to the plan of God. Intimately united to the church by virtue of the sacrament that makes it a domestic church a little church. The Christian family is called, therefore, to be a sign of unity for the world, and in this way to exercise its prophetic role by bearing witness to the kingdom and peace of Christ toward which the whole world is journeying. Conjugal charity, which flows from the very charity of Christ offered through the sacrament, makes Christian spouses witnesses to a new social consciousness— inspired by the gospel and the paschal mystery the natural dimension of their love is constantly purified strengthened and elevated by sacramental grace in this manner besides offering each other mutual help on the path to holiness christian spouses become a sign and an instrument of christ's love in the world by their very lives they are called to bear witness to and proclaim the religious meaning of marriage which modern society Has ever greater difficulty recognizing, especially as it accepts relativistic perspectives of the natural foundation itself of the institution of marriage. The family is present as the place where communion, that community so necessary for a society that is increasingly individualistic, is brought about. It is the place where an authentic community of persons develops and grows, thanks to the endless dynamism of love which is the fundamental dimension of human experience and which finds in the family the privileged place for making itself known. Love causes man to find fulfillment through the sincere gift of self. To love means to give and to receive something which can neither be bought or sold, but only freely given and mutually given. It is thanks to love the essential reality for divining marriage and the family, that every person, man and woman, is recognized, accepted, and respected in his dignity. From love arise relationships lived in gratuitousness, which, by respecting and fostering personal dignity in each and every one as the only basis for value, takes the form of heartfelt acceptance, encounter and dialogue, disinterested availability, generous service and deep solidarity. The existence of families living this way exposes the failings and contradictions of a society that is for the most part, even if not exclusively based on efficiency and functionality by constructing daily, a network of interpersonal relationships, both internal and external. The family is instead the first and irreplaceable school of social life an example and stimulus for the broader community relationships marked by respect, justice, dialogue, and love. That reading again comes from the compendium of the social doctrine of the church. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this other than to say this, that same love that St. Paul prayed that we would have the ability to comprehend with all the saints. That same love is what underpins and flows through us, through that grace of the sacrament, as we give sacramental love to one another in marriage, not for our own sake or for ourselves or even necessarily for our family, but we are, through that love, witnesses to the whole world that otherwise may not see the gospel put out in front of them. They may never experience the love of God other than witnessing that love lived out in our relationships. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you by Kerry Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and consider joining their numbers. Come join the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside The Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you.